Welcome to Books and Beyond with your hosts, Karen and Luisa. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations, and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl, and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter, willing to help. Australian music. Everyone will, in a short time, know why that's very appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, kia ora, everyone. It's your host, Karen, today. Very happy to be here with the writer, Stephanie Johnson. Kia ora, Stephanie. Kia ora. Stephanie may be a classic example of the person of whom we say she needs no introduction, but I am going to do a short intro, not from need, but for the pleasure of it, because I get to say congratulations, Stephanie, <laughs> on having become a member of the New Zealand Order of Merit for Services to Literature in the 2019 Queen's Birthday Honours. A well-deserved recognition for a writing career of over 30 years, which had already won you a huge number of fans, the Deutsch Medal for Fiction for the younger generations, that's the erstwhile name for the New Zealand Book Award for Fiction, and two appearances on the long list for the Dublin Impact Literary Award, which I specifically like to mention because it's the literary award where public libraries make the nominations, including Auckland Libraries. So welcome, Stephanie. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. So we here, um, we're going to start off with have a look at Stephanie's newest book, which is called West Island, a very witty name for that big island across the Tasman to the west. And it's the story of five New Zealanders, four of whom crossed the Tasman motivated by hopes for better prospects and higher incomes, and one who crossed for love. So, Stephanie mm-hmm. sounds a lot like today. <laughs> uh, these are true stories, I should have said. Those who are um, thinking of Stephanie as a novelist, this is a nonfiction book. And these people were chosen. That's what I thought we might start with. So, who are these people and how did you pick them? I just came up across these people in my reading. I, I've always been interested in um, the, the trans-Tasman relationship, and I've looked at that in, 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 in fiction as well as in non-fiction. And these these people just sort of kept cropping up. Um, Jean Devaney I knew about uh, because I, I had known of her when, when I was a young writer because she was championed by some older women writers that I knew. And also her novel, The Butcher's Shop, was republished in the 1980s with an introduction by Heather Roberts. And I just, I, you know, it's just ex- extraordinary the, the way that um, Jean was treated. Uh, I mean, that book was banned by the New Zealand government. Um, and the others, I just, yes, I just came across them. And, and four of them are writers and one of them is a painter. Um, and writers, of course, one of the wonderful things about writing about writers is that they leave behind records of their thoughts and their experiences. Um, with Roland Wakelin, it was more a case of looking at his paintings. Um, his paintings are held by all the major collections in Australia. And, and of course, they proudly claim him as an Australian, as, you know... As, as Australians are wont to do mm. if we're successful. If we're not successful, they like to, um, you know, at the other extreme, lock us up on Menace Island. <laughs> <laughs> it is a, a light motif, this um, identification of the New Zealander as an Australian. It's happened to you as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I, I'm not. I'm a very proud sixth generation New Zealander. But, um, but I, in my twenties, I, I lived in Australia for a while, and um, 
and I'm my husband is Australian and I have two two of my three children live in Australia uh, which is this is not of course as many listeners will know this is not unusual you know so many New Zealand families now are stretched across the Tasman it has always provided a good um, excuse for that three-day weekend in Australia. <laughs> I was going to see my child. You see them for one dinner, and then you've got two days. <laughs> I hear this from a lot of colleagues. Um, so, yes, yeah, so did you go back to Australia to do research? Because the thing that's really impressive, uh, the book reads so beautifully. Um, you know, it's not a thesis written by somebody with no experience of writing. It, it almost reads like a novel in some ways, which is probably to be expected. But when you get to the final pages, there's a, a thick wad of references of things that you have looked up and, and, and corroborated or investigated to add to your story. So did you go to Australia to do that research? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um, my dear friend Rosie Scott was still alive then. She she um, is a, was a New Zealand writer who went to live in Australia and lived the last sort of 20, 30 years really of her life uh, in, in, in Australia. Um, so I would stay with her in Glebe or I'd stay with my parents-in-law who also live in Sydney and spend many happy hours uh, in the State Library of New South Wales. Um, so that's where um, Douglas Stewart's papers are. Um, there was uh, quite a lot of um, stuff on Dulce Demer, although most, mostly photographs. Um, and the librarians there, as librarians always are, were, you know, very helpful and... and um, and I do love that research stage of a book. Most of my novels are historical novels and they're very heavily researched. And um, you can get stuck there if you're not careful because you're just sort of squirreling away all these beautiful little nuggets. And Yeah, and one thing leads to the next. Yeah. And then I'll just take a but, look at this. But and then, then one day you have to take the plunge and start, you know. Yeah. So you were um, helped, didn't you? Is this the book that you had a residency? Yeah, yeah. yes, I did. I, I I was very fortunate because um, I was selected for uh, the Randell Cottage down in Thorndon, and the, that's um, run by a trust. And um, in the summertime, a lucky French person has it, and then in the winter, the New Zealander has it. We <laughs> <laughs> um, you know which is very kind of us to do it that way round. Anyway. It's bloody cold, but I suppose the French do give us Montal, where it's always summer. Uh, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. and you did that residency. Um, yes, too, I, didn't you? Yeah. I don't think the two residencies are connected in any way. <laughs> but uh, yes, I did a long time ago now, in the year two thousand. Um, I, I, I had the fellowship in Montal, and it was marvellous. It was the first time I'd ever been to Europe. I'd had a couple of books by that stage published in in England. But I personally never never yeah. been, you know, uh, to to England and to Europe, and um, and it was it was life changing. I, 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 you know, I look back on that time with great pleasure, as I do uh, looking back on my time in Wellington, because even though it was it was um, it, these writers' residencies are quite strange because you, you you you're being taken away from everything that is familiar to you. And um, and sort of plunged into this, you know, uh, different world, which is, which means that in some ways you kind of retreat and and you work, and then 
on the, on the other hand, you're, you know, out there exploring, so. I suppose it's sort of a modern version of that thing in the, uh, you know, 18th century when, uh, like, Casanova getting a job as a librarian in a little <laughs> castle in Bohemia, like, he was technically the librarian, but it was his patron, in a way, was giving him the chance to write his memoirs, yes. wasn't he? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Not that librarians nowadays get to spend their time <laughs> um, <laughs> writing memoirs, although I, I had heard a rumor some do hide down in the basement sometimes and scribble away. Um, <laughs> But so, um, so yeah, you mentioned Dulcie Deemer so, and the photographs. There is a fantastic photograph. So this was the Queen of Bohemia. Yes. Um, who? So not Bohemia where uh, Casanova ended up. But no, <laughs> Bohemia the cross, in the sense King's of cross. a social Bohemia. Mm. A photograph of her in her leopard skin outfit, mm. in which I understand she enjoyed doing the splits at mm. parties. Was mm. that it? Oh, she was a total show off. She, she was born in Christchurch to free-thinking parents. You know, so there was, they, you know, the mother had dispensed with her corset, etc. We're and talking the, Edwardian times, yes, basically. Yes, late yeah, 19th, yeah. well, she was born in the late 19th century. Yeah. And, um, and then when she was a little girl, they moved to Featherston, and um, the children were encouraged to run around naked. They didn't have to go to school. Their mother taught them, though. She was, you know, obviously educated when you read her books, um, you know, she's certainly no slouch. I mean, her novels now are very out of fashion. Um, and I, I, I sort of I remark in the book that if he, if she was alive today, she would probably be working on sort of historical fantasy TV series like, um, you know, Game of Game Thrones and that, and you know, that sort of thing. Um, but she made a living from, from for a long time with her with her books, and then after the war, really, is when they sort of those sort of books fell out of favour. And uh, but yes, got, she was oh no, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say she yeah she loved she loved parties. I mean, um, possibly loved parties more than anything else, including her children. You you've got something a page because I was hoping we could hear a page from the book. Okay, and perhaps Dulcie would be a good place to. Um, to present um, what, what you could expect from this surprising book. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is um, uh, just a little snippet of Dulcie. And we're, we're, um, we're in a bookshop where she's found a book written by her now ex-husband. Does Dima hide the book behind another on the shelf and go on her way, pleased? It was so unsuccessful. She is the author in the family, always will be, even though after her early wild success, she didn't publish her own first novel until 1913. Better if Goldie had contented himself with all the things he already was, writer, director and actor. Hadn't she allowed him to attend, in the privilege of her company, the lively inaugural meeting of the Australian Writers and Artists Union? This precursor to the Fellowship of Australian Writers was launched on the 20th of April, 1911. The launch is one of her favourite hoolies to remember, since she was the only woman. It was a stag party. Among entertainment provided by others, she and Albert performed a thought-reading act for the all-male audience. Telepathy was all the rage, care of Madame Blavatsky's theosophists, and was regarded as one of the new paranormal sciences. Dima is interested in the occult. 
Although she doesn't know it in 1925, the young New Zealander who will become one of her closest and most infamous friends has arrived in Sydney. Rosaline Norton, future witch of King's Cross, is only nine years old and has shifted with her family from Dunedin to the North Shore suburb of Linfield. Oh, that, that does bring it back home beautifully. That's something. So, yeah, so for you, that just speaking of home and, um, and, and having two homes, you were 24, you went to Australia. Yeah, yes, I yeah. was. I wasn't there for all that long, but yeah. of course, I was back by the time I was, I was nearly 30. Yeah. Um, but you know, when, when you do things in your 20s, <laughs> Those are, you know, it's such a, an important time of your life, your 20s, and, and um, they often, those years in your 20s, will shape the rest of your life uh, for good or ill. I totally agree, and they also mm. remain so incredibly vivid, and I actually, this was confirmed to me by doctors when my mother had Alzheimer's, and I learned a lot about memories and why some memories are more vivid than others, and anything that has a emotional tie to the memories is stored in a different part of the brain mm. or in a different way mm. in the brain, mm. and those mm. are the ones that always can spring out at you that you'll never lose. It's mm. interesting. Mm. And you were like Dulcie, you crossed for love, didn't you? It's <laughs> <laughs> very ill-fated, I have to say. But you've got a great line about, um, what did you find different in Australia? No, oh, about the men and the birds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they were both. Uh, after news, news, or particularly Parker uh, men are uh, very and quieter, um, more self-effacing. I mean, I know these are terrible generalisations. Whereas, and, and we still, I think, even now in New Zealand, it's part of our culture that we don't like skites. And but the Aussies, they don't care. <laughs> they they skite their heads off the whole time. And 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 there's also a lot more sort of laughter and I don't know, just different Brashness, ways, I just suppose. a different way of conducting themselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, they're more like Americans in a way. Yeah. I mean, one of one of the um, uh, kind of rude terms for New Zealanders in the 1950s in Australia is they called us South Sea Poms. Because they they had this idea that we were sort of more like the English, you know, or more than the English. Because wasn't there a thing about New Zealand were more British than the British? Mm. Uh, well, I think I think particularly in the sort of upper classes and among the, you know, the right right wing in New Zealand. Yes, there is certainly you, you know you can hear it in their accents. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Um, there is a large part in this book which I'm really happy to um, to testify to as, as I found one of the most interesting parts of the book, which is a. But a, a memoir, we could say, um, included in a larger book, which is not a memoir, but definitely passages, which are about your experiences and partly revisiting them, partly the um, bringing out the confrontation that you felt while you were there and then the long view back on it. Um, I, I, not a confessional memoir, <laughs> I'm going to say as fashionable as those are, at least not the traditional kind of confessional memoir. It's just a lot of irony and enjoyment in the writing. But... Um, there are also some really beautifully evocative passages, and my favorite is the one about driving the car, and um, I, I could call it the one, it's tempting to say, the one about when you killed an emu. <laughs> 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 um, but you'll have to read the book to hear about that, because I'm going to ask Stephanie to read a different passage from that same car trip that included the killing of an emu, <laughs> um, about um, her trip to Broken Hill. Oh, yes, no, it's in your book. It's in my book. They okay. marked it with my yellow post-it as a librarian will. But don't okay. leave them in your books. <laughs> Over to you, Stephanie. <laughs> All right, so this is in a, um, in a little town called Whitecliffe, which is about 
three or four hours out of Broken Hill, uh, heading back into New South Wales. Broken Hill is on the border um, of New South Wales. Outside the pub, there were dead and dying white locusts, great drifts of them on the dusty road and clogging the grills of the four-wheel drives. They were long-legged and gauzy-winged and in their millions, an excess of nature, a seemingly meaningless genocide or suicide. It was eerily beautiful, like bridal petals, but frightening in its magnitude. As far as the eye could see in one direction were fallen clouds of locusts. It seemed they'd come from the south. It's the curse of our time that most of us, when observing any kind of die-off, will fret and worry that it is caused by climate change or agricultural chemicals or some new terrifying change in the balance of the world. The locals barely commented on the dying insects. It seemed almost as if it was poor form to even acknowledge them. I sat outside and smoked with the old man whose ex-wives gambled away his savings. There was no one about. Away on the diggings, a solitary big red kangaroo lolloped along through the rubble, where the cranes and lancers poked up their bony elbows from the mole hills and dust floated in the still cooling air. My mate was kind gruff, sad. He was going home to cook his dinner in a microwave, which he was adamant used as much electricity as a conventional oven. Don't be fooled, love, he told me. But you don't have it on for as long, I said. It seemed as if he thought he did, and he wouldn't be dissuaded. I had visions of his lonely dinners going round and round and round, nuked for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love. I, well, it was so much better even hearing it in your voice than having read it to myself. And uh, congratulations on that Australian accent. Um, so you've also written another. You've described Australia and the Tras Tasman experience in the guise of a different person, um, or rather, let's say Lily Woodhouse has described uh, the Tras Tasman experience. So who is Lily Woodhouse? Lily Woodhouse, well, you see, because you work in a library and you're surrounded by all these lovely books and people come and get them and they take them out, and of course, in the publishing world, it's uh, it's actually hell. And, um, <laughs> and there's this thing called Nielsen's Book Data. And so when you have published sort of as many books as I have, uh, the publishers will... I mean, I do have some loyal relationships in the industry, I must say, but uh, in Australia, it's different. And and for many New Zealanders, it doesn't matter what, what you're in, business, sport, the arts, if you can sell or operate a bit in Australia and West Island, <laughs> then you're, you know, you're going to um, have, it'll improve your, um, your standard of living. Um, so I decided that um, I would have an Australian pseudonym and that... Um, she was. She would be younger than me because that always helps, especially if you've got long blonde hair and big tits, you know. <laughs> um, and um, and that she would be. Um, she would write commercial, high end commercial fiction. So I wrote Lily Lily's first book, uh, Geraldine by the River, which is set on a on a uh, big estate in, in northern New South Wales, and it's an epic. You know, it starts um, during the First World War and um, and finishes pretty much now uh, with this family that are sort of mixed New Australians and New Zealanders, um, including um, a, a Māori branch of the family. So 
um, yeah, that's that's what I I did. I wrote and um, I I talk about it a little bit in West Island. Just uh, that my experience of going to Australia and doing radio interviews, which weren't like this because I couldn't the the interviewer couldn't see me, so often they hadn't read the guff that the publishers had sent them, which didn't give them my name. We just said that it was the pseudonym of a well-known New Zealand writer. <laughs> but because they couldn't see me, I w- and if they hadn't read the guff, I could. I can do a good Australian accent. And so they, they actually believed I was Lily Woodhouse. It was hilarious. And it was marvellous. It was like being reborn. Well, you are Lily Woodhouse <laughs> in a certain sense. In their defence, they just didn't believe that Lily Woodhouse was only um, was only a nom de plume. Oh no, I so, made up a whole past for us. You know, she lived, lived on the Gold Coast. And why did they say? Um, I heard always oh, said mm. a name which is easily decoded. So I know Woodhouse is actually your husband's name. I know. Name. Aren't I but silly? What's, what's Lily? What's is that decoded or something? No, no. no um, my son Stan. Uh, um, when I was pregnant with. Um, he's nearly 31 now but when I was pregnant with him I had if he was a girl he might have been called Lily Ah. it's just a name I always liked and actually too I realised it's in fashion at the moment so you know there's a lot of little Lilies running around so it's a name people like yeah it's um, definitely it sounds exactly like these so you you used the word saga didn't you yeah epic Epic. you used the word epic Mm. exactly you Mm. used the word epic and I when you said that I was thinking yes a saga is another it's a to me it's um, when I read it, I said yes, it's um, very sagish. Yeah, it's very sagish, and it's very um, it's got a, a real feverish. So it's definitely not an Aga saga. Do you know what an Aga saga? Mm, is? You see the English I, ones. Yeah, yeah, I just learned that it's for the Aga stove. So Joanna Trolla, mm, for example, yeah, is yeah, Aga yeah. saga. Um, it's not that. It's got quite a feverish thing. And do you know the old book called Green Mansions, which is set in like a jungle in South America and there's no. a bird girl. Well, it's a song. It reminded me a lot. Oh, <laughs> right. I'll get it for you from the library. I'm sure we have it in the basement um, along with Dulcie Deemer's books. Which yes, well I, yes, well, I read Dulcie Deemer's, the, the one that has Jesus in it as a character in, in Auckland Library. Yeah. And uh, um, Of course, I wasn't allowed to take it out. I'd sit there carefully and and and, um, and read it. And I, I just, I just I so applaud the library's continued storage of those books um helen woodhouse has just recently retired as chief librarian over in uh takapuna and the takapuna stacks it's interesting so often i order when i'm researching for a book uh particularly you know um, something set in late 19th or you know 20th century that's where they are for some reason they're in the takapuna stacks yeah. so i i hope um Whoever replaces Helen uh, understands that there's many of us that value that that tanga, and we. Yeah. I'd, I'd hate to see it go. Yeah, the Takapuna stack in particular, I loved it because um, it was an open stack. You could actually go and walk around it. Whereas at Central Library, the stack this is purely yeah. because of architectural, you know, what mm. room you have. So the Central Library basement, where our older books are, is not actually health and safety wise. You can't go walking. No, yes. you know, metal yeah. catwalks and. But um, but yeah, the library dreams. Helen and I in particular used to always dream we wanted to open a retro library that had just the older books. Yes. <laughs> that people could come and, and, and browse. You know, and then I, some of the books, and when I, in West Island, uh, when I talk about the, the actual book, the artifact that I've borrowed from the library, uh, it was a book of um, Jean Devaney's, which uh, when I borrowed it, it had been and this is one I was allowed to take out, um, it had been lovingly covered by a librarian at some stage in its 
the history in, in this wallpaper that I remembered seeing in the houses of elderly relatives when I was a kid in the 60s. You know, so it's... Yeah. And it's so marvellous when you, you know, as I say, you know, to hold that book in my hand was like being transported back to the war era. It was... I know it was the frugal. It was a it was a practical and frugal thing. Like why waste money on mm. brightly flowered paper when we have this pale beige, yes, <laughs> striped it wallpaper. Fleck. It was greeny flecked. <laughs> and there was another book I borrowed, um, which I talk about in the uh, briefly in West Island, which was a, a book of poems of Douglas Stewart's, and um, it had been uh, sold as part of an effort to in an auction, uh, and then donated to the library as a part of um, a way of raising money for the war effort. Yeah. There's a lot, and you talk about one where there's still the due date stamps on it. Yes. You can see that the first year that the library had it, it had been out nine times. I know, I sort of, I miss that, you know. Yeah. I, I used to always love, even when I was a kid, you know, to when we go to the library and get our books out to see, you know, how, where, how many people, how many times it's gone out and how long. And Yeah, and which was the one where you saw that there was a slip still in the book that showed the person had um, had checked out a Maori. Was it, was it yes. Lily or was it? Yes, no, no. That that was I was looking at um, a book, a, um, a collection of Douglas Stewart's plays. Yeah, that was um, it. three plays of of Stewart's, and Stewart was very inspired by um, Maori mythology and things and legends and things in a way that maybe Pākehā writers now might be a little less. Uh, Confident, yeah, or yeah, or comfortable. Yeah. Um, anyway, he had no such worries at all, and um, and I, yes, it was it was interesting. Um, um, I won't name him, but uh, yes, there's a, a Maori uh, director and actor, and also playwright had uh, left his slip in the book, and only halfway through this play, and I thought, oh. <laughs> Oh, who knows, but maybe he'd got sick of it by that stage. That's why he hadn't finished. <laughs> or he could have been marking his favorite part. <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you know, I was thinking about when you were describing these, um, you think of how you transform these people when you're writing fiction. So there is a, is this, is this your first work of nonfiction? I, um, in 2016, Bridget Williams Books published a little one, you know, she did those little yes, tweaks. yeah, playing for both sides. Oh, yes, yeah, love across the Tasman, and I, um, she very kindly allowed me to reproduce a, a section of that book in West Island, which is one of the more personal um, bits because the the book that Bridget did was personal. Yeah, so it was sort of like a little start for you into this book. Mm. You first wrote, mm. a, uh, mm. and it was my first experience of sort of writing about my own life. And that, I mean, of course, all writers weave things in. Well, I think I've probably done it less than most. And uh, but in this, yeah, this was my first. That was my first yeah. memoir, if you like. Yeah, I read that. I love those little Bridget Williams books. Um, and I read that and I was surprised when I said, this sounds very familiar. <laughs> but, mm. you know, it happens a lot. People do it with their New Yorker articles. You mm. always see this book took form as a New, New Yorker mm. article. Yeah, so, it's, only, it's only a weenie bit. You know. Yeah, yeah, mm. but it's a very beautiful bit. So, um, do you think that you'll be doing more of this? Or more nonfiction? Yes, I, I, I actually I enjoyed it so much. And part of it is, I suppose, is that the story is already there. The, the people have lived their life. I mean, I think I might have tried to bite off more than I could chew. It. I, I remember getting quite sort of freaked out at times, thinking this is ridiculous. I've got, I'm looking at five lives. Why didn't I just choose one? You know, but uh, I wanted to do the five mainly because of the contrasts between their lives. The the men men's the men's lives they were sort of um, 
although Roland Wakelin, the painter, had very hard times financially, the um, the, the the poorest were the women. You know, Jean Devaney and, and Dulcie Deemer both led lives of relative penury. Was that, do you think, a sign of the times also in terms of how many opportunities were available to oh, them? Yes, yeah. yes, yes. And, um, and Jean, of course, because she was such a convicted um, and passionate communist and, and just wanted to work for the party the whole time, so travelled and, and, and she was a great speaker, very inspiring speaker, and she, and she travelled, you know, all the time, all around Australia and... Um, you know, just about killed herself doing that. Yeah, it's really, um, it must be quite inspiring, um, you know, this this fact of, like you say, the, their real lives and the digging into them and being able to bring that out and put that in front of people. And um, unfortunately, I can see the clock is ticking down. I would have had you read another part because I, I love the part about the um, duchessing. So people, you're going to have to get the book to find out. <laughs> Did you already know about being duchess? Yes, I had, heard, I had heard that expression. I mean, if you you know if you if you're interested in sort of mid twentieth century uh, history and and write, uh, you know New Zealand writing, and it was a thing that Australian and New Zealand soldiers or men did. Well, they went to England and for the, in the war, and if they were handsome officers, sometimes they got picked up by a bored duchess. You've just given it away. That was going to be my teaser why they had to come get your book. <laughs> so, uh, faithful listeners out there, you're going to get the book. There are plenty of other things in it that we haven't been able to touch on. Thank you so much for coming oh, Thank in, you for Sophie. having me, Karen. And, and well done on this great book. Mm, thank so, you. Kakite ano. We'll see you next week, everyone. brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day, every day.